Praise God. Welcome this evening, everyone. If you want to open Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll just take a look at what Paul says about the armor of God, starting at verse 10. Ephesians 6.10 Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, which is coming very quickly, so that when the day of evil comes, the arrival of the Antichrist, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm uh, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keep on praying for all the saints. And on... And on he goes. For those of you joining us for the first time, this is actually part 11, uh, 10 or 11 of a series on end times. And Jesus repeats himself many times when talking about the last days of this earth. And he says, watch and pray. And we've spent many weeks looking at what the watch is all about. We're told to watch very specific things, politics, economics, ecology. God has warned us that there will be very definite signs but he doesn't just say watch, he says watch and pray. And if you do just a little shake through your Bible, you will see that God is very, very clear that end times believers have a list of some pretty, you know, hair-raising stuff, some scary stuff that we're warned is going to take place in the last days. And I'll just, by way of this morning and tonight, it's just an introduction to what it's like to be an end times believer and what it's like to pray in the last days. Some of the advice that the scriptures give to us. For a start, Paul says that end times believers are going to start to feel like a pregnant woman whose time to give birth is coming near because pain, trouble, will come upon the earth in increased measure, more frequently. Just like a woman who's pregnant, she may not have a kick too often in the early months, but the nearer she gets... To that delivery, the greater the pain will be and the more frequent it will be. So Paul is basically warning the end times church that the earth will become like uh, groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And as the darkness increases in these last days, so will and should your light. Amen. Amen. Right? So it, we've seen maybe an economic collapse once in a hundred years. Then we'll start to see it once in fifty. Then we'll start to see it once in ten. Then we'll start to see it twice in ten. Right? And you can see the speed at which things are increasing right now. I forget the statistics for the increase of earthquakes, but it's phenomenal. I, I think it's by 10% every two years, or every ten years or something like that. 
huge increase just as Jesus said. Like childbirth, as the contractions and the pain starts to increase, you will know that the end is near. So there's a first warning. I want to be able to go through my labor. I want to be able to get through the last days and make it. Amen. I want to go through that. And that's going to involve me being prepared for that. Paul warns us of another thing. Evil will abound. So I want to be ready for that. I want to be prepared for that. Evil, if we think we've had evil times in the past, and we surely have. Look at the Roman Empire. Look at Hitler. There has been evil, great, great evil on this earth. But we have been warned that in the last days, evil will abound. Now, we've yet to see the fullness of what that means. But that alone is a kind of scary thing. And we should pay, you know, close attention to that. Busyness. Did I say business? It's supposed to say busyness. <laughs> busyness will increase. You know, in the book of Daniel, it says that knowledge and travel and all that will increase in the last days. In other words, the hurry that everyone is in is just going to get greater and greater and greater. Busyness will increase. Now tell me, look at me a moment. What effect does busyness have on your prayer life? Not a good one. Not a good one. So as busyness increases in the last days, we will be wise to set aside a very definite time every day, right, to pray and to make sure that happens. We have been warned. Just a few signs here, just, you know, by way of introduction. We could go on forever. The name of Jesus will be contested in the last days. Remember what we mean by the last days. I've just put it on the bottom of the screen there. The, the history has been divided by God, really, into three parts. There's the era that was prior to the law, pre-law, okay? Then the law came, and we would call pre-law, if you like, the old days. Then there was the time when the law came, the, the, the old covenant, they were recent days, really. But from the time Jesus Christ came, it became the last days. So from Christ until now, we would classify as the last days. So you live at the very last of the last days. So these things, I mean, again, and we've seen over the last few weeks, how easy it is to spot around the world just how these things have actually happened. The name of Jesus only really concerns the last days. Why? Well, because prior to Jesus Christ, his name wasn't used. The Old Testament saints didn't use it. It wasn't part of their Bible. It wasn't part of their culture, right? But from we have found Christ, from Jesus entered the world, the name of Jesus is the way that we access all things. Pray at all times in his name. So we see that. We see that again and again. I think it was Franklin Graham, right? who was asked to pray at the inauguration of George Bush. And they, he was under enormous pressure. They, they said he could pray. No one was complaining about that. What were they complaining about? The name of Jesus. Oh, many people put great political pressure that he would not be allowed when he prayed the inaugural prayer to actually use the name of Jesus. They didn't mind God. They said that was okay. And we don't mind when Franklin Graham prays for the president if he says God. We don't mind that. But we don't want him to say Jesus. Now, why do you think that is? Because all authority on heaven and on this earth is given to Jesus Christ. All authority. And you see, the devil knows his game, but do we know ours? 
There is power in the name of Jesus. He knows it. Do you? And we can't give in to this stuff in the last days. The name of Jesus, the use of the name of Jesus is already strongly contested. And I, I could almost prophesy to you folks, mark my words, the name of Jesus will come you know, ever more greatly into focus. And we will start to be pressurized politically in every way that we're not, you know, to use that name. Just another sign of the last days. So how do we get ourselves ready then? To pray, to get through these days that Paul describes as labor coming upon the church in the world? Well, here in Glasgow, you know, here in Scotland, when you're going to go out of the house, you'd be very wise to look out the window before you go, amen? <laughs> Take a look and see what the weather's like. Because 99 times out of 100, it's probably pouring with rain. And you need to take suitable clothing for the day, right? You need an, your umbrella, you need your hat, not today, praise God. But you need to dress appropriately. And if you don't, you will get sick, right? You, you may even die if you don't look after yourself. And so it is in these last days. If you do not dress appropriately, as in clothed for prayer and ready for prayer, then we can't say that we haven't been warned. And we'll look tonight just briefly as a way of introduction at the armor of God. And it's quite shocking, you know, how pertinent it is to the last days. You know, sin, more than anything, sin is a deception. That's why people sin. They sin because they were deceived. God offers you such blessing and we take the sin. We fall for it. Believe it. Do you know why? Because sin's a deception. We get deceived. Didn't believe God. Actually fell for the lie. But not only is sin a lie. It's a, it, it's a lie that changes its form. And that's one thing that has always remained a pattern over history. The nature of evil in the world. It keeps on shifting. Keeps on moving. The spirits behind it are the same. But evil can be hard to discern. You know. It puts on a suit. If you like. And it's changed its form. And I want to just look at that in a moment. But evil is there. We were over in Belfast this week with my mother. She's 88, 89. And she really likes Jeanette. You know, she thinks she's an angel. Not a real angel. You know what I mean. And we're sitting there, you know, and I was explaining the gospel to my mom. And in great detail. And I was saying, you see, mom, see Jeanette now. Without Jesus as her savior, Jeanette would be going to hell. And my mother goes, no, 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 no. No, she's a good girl. <laughs> she's a good girl. I know, I know she's a good girl. But without Jesus, she would be going to hell. You said it again. Shush, don't say that. Sometimes, without Jesus, she would be going to hell. And so would you. And so would I. And sometimes, sin can be, be very well disguised, can't it? can be very well hidden, but it's still there. And if you're a believer, you know that. You know that the sin in you drove you to God. You know you turned to Him and you put your faith in Him because you needed to. There's no other option. Oh, sin is well disguised, all right. Particularly in the last days. It changes its form, changes its guise very, very much. You know these um, sins, the seven deadly sins. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And they all mean different things. Very often their meaning gets 
greatly distorted. Lust is only really referred to as sexual lust in our day, but that's not what it meant biblically. Do you know what it meant biblically, lust? It meant to be so focused on a person that God takes second place. It meant to be so focused in your life on an individual that God lost his throne in your heart. You see, the word lust means strong emotion, good and bad in the Bible. And it just meant being over-focused on an individual, that's all. A strong, uncontrolled desire. There was gluttony, there was greed, and these things have changed. As I mentioned this morning, sloth is a lot more than just lying around all day doing nothing. Sloth was when a believer doesn't cheer themselves in God. Sloth is when a believer is negative or miserable. That's the sin of sloth. And we know these things from our Bible. But what I want you to see is the other side of your screen there or the other side of your notes. Many people have come up with lists of the seven modern sins. In other words, how sins have changed their appearance over the years. This is Gandhi's list. I see Mahatma Gandhi. But there are, there, 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 there's dozens of lists out there. Oh, sin has changed all right. Instead of lust, we have what we, he termed pleasure without conscience. What's that? Well, do you know one of the fastest growing businesses on this planet is hedonism? The pursuit of pleasure solely for pleasure's sake, pleasure without conscience, except now it's a massive worldwide business, not just, you know, some corner somewhere. This is a huge thing. Hedonism in the last days. In the last days, the Bible says people will become lovers of themselves, right? Pleasure without conscience, business without morality, politics without principles, wealth without work. That's another form of sin that we see certainly here in the UK with our welfare system, right? I think our welfare system is absolutely crazy. We make people wealthy without asking them to work. If someone cannot work, then the state should look after them. Amen? Amen. If someone is sick, they should be cared for. Widows and orphans should be cared for, as it says in Acts. But if someone can work and they won't, should we pay them? Absolutely not. It's utter madness. Complete madness. And the Bible says what? If a man does not work, he should not eat. Wealth without work. Only a recent revelation, by the way. This hasn't been around a long time this sort of crazy behavior of a society. And then we wonder why as a country we struggle so much financially because so much of the nation's wealth goes to play, you know, pay people to sit at home and watch Richard and Judy. Isn't it? <laughs> it's madness. It's end times, folks. That's what it is. Wealth without work. Science without humanity. Look at me a moment. I want you to understand something. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sin has always been in this world since the devil got here. But it has changed its form. And the end times believer needs to be sharp to its existing form. If you're going to go out and look for Baal worship, Ashtoreth poles, are you going to find them? Not too easily. What are you going to find? Think back. <laughs> Message number three, was it? So Baal worship, or, you know, Samarius and Tamus and mother-child worship turned into Baal worship and then ended up in the religious system in Rome. Changed its form. But it's the same sin. It's the same sin. And so you can look at many. We're talking at the moment about science without humanity. And science all over the world. I mean, modern medical science particularly. 
has sin so much within it in so many ways. Remember Molech. Remember that in the Old Testament? How they worshipped Molech? A mother would have to have her baby, have her child. And the mother would have to take her child. Molech was a great big god in which they had a, a statue built of him. And he had a big open belly, like a cup like this, a big open belly. And there was a fire raging in Molech's belly. And the mother would have to take her newborn baby and walk up to the belly of Molech. And without crying, without one whisper or one word, the mother had to throw her child into the raging fire in the belly of Molech. A spirit that demanded child sacrifice. And you can look at these old sins, these seven deadly sins in our distant past. And you can think they've got no place on earth in the last days. How mistaken we would be. Because Molech worship, that type of thing, is alive and well. And much more prevalent today than it ever was back then. We call it abortion. And I don't know if you know a guy called Rod Parsley. But Rod Parsley is, is, has a huge campaign going in this area. Very successful campaign in the States. But one of his members once was training to be a midwife. And she's naive. She goes to the hospital. And as part of her training, she's got to go into surgery. So they kid her all out. And she doesn't know anything about anything. She's just there as an observer. She walks into the surgery and there's operations going on. And they say, you stand here, you're doing midwifery, and just watch this abortion operation. And what she saw was this. A doctor pull a baby out from inside a woman. The legs, the torso, but not the head. And then the doctor took large scissors and cut the baby's head off. And pulled the torso and laid it to one side. She screamed. Ran out. I said, somebody go get her. They go outside. I said, you just murdered the baby. The guy just murdered the baby. I said, calm down, calm down. It's an abortion, love. No, it was a baby. It was a full born. I saw it. I know. It's partial birth abortion. It's partial birth. It's legal. It's not legal. It's murder. It's legal. The baby's head did not come out. And as long as the baby's head stayed in the womb, technically the baby wasn't born. And technically it was not murder. And then they take the parts of the baby's body. And do you know what they do? They put them in the furnace. No different from Molech. The children were taken. And the mother is put there day after day by the millions around the world. And the mothers are laid on the beds in hospitals, clinics around... Quiet now, don't say a word. It'll all be over soon. The spirits behind these things are still there. Whether it's Baal, whether it's Molech, it's the same spirit. It just changes its form. Now the Bible warns us about the last days. And it tells us to be cute to these things. Satan will try every which way to get you. And you've got to be smart to that. You've got to be aware of that. That's what Samson wasn't. Remember Delilah? Delilah didn't just try Samson with one thing, did she? It says she wore him out because she tried this sin, that sin, this sin, that sin, and she wore him out in the end, and he gave in, right? Remember Satan and Jesus. Did, did Satan offer Jesus one thing? No. Come back this way. Change the form of the sin. 
change it this way. What about this, Jesus? And it's just a warning for us to be, have our eyes wide open in the last days because the form and the nature of sin is, sure, is certainly going to change. And we need to see what it is. Now, no matter what way Satan came at Jesus, you notice one thing. He never changed. He never changed the point of his strength. He knew where his strength was. His strength was in the Word of God. He never altered that. And he stood firm in what we know very well is what Paul described there as the armor of God. But you know what shocks me? Is how pertinent this armor is to those who live in the last days. And I say it, and I absolutely mean this with all my heart. See that belt of truth? I do not believe there is another generation that has more need for the belt of truth. I think the belt of truth has come to its day. When the evil one, prepare yourself, he says, for the rise of the evil one, first get the truth right. You see? It's for you. You're an end times believer, by the way, whether you realize it or not. It's a crying shame to talk to believers and see that they, they you know, don't take it seriously. You are an end times believer. And that means this here is incredibly important to you. Do you know what's happened, Truth? Let me just show you something here. You will have heard the term, we live in a postmodern society. Have you heard that? People throw these terms around, never explaining what they mean. Well, let me just very briefly explain what they mean. They concern truth. They're about truth. There was a time prior to the Reformation, prior to what we call the Enlightenment, a time of cultural change in Europe, prior to those times was called pre-modern society. And within pre-modernism, basically a society did what they were told. Cultures did what they were told. There was one truth, an undisputed truth. You know, the bishop told you what to do, you believed it. You didn't argue with it. Pre-modern world. Then we came into the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and all that, and we come to a time that we call modernity. Now, do you know what happens here? It concerns truth. And at this time, all of a sudden, the man on the street was no longer saying, yes, Father, no, Father, three bags full, Father. He wasn't saying that anymore. Modern man, modernity, was now saying, I've got an opinion. I actually don't agree with what you're stating to be truth. But we're the, 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 the postmodern side, that's supposed to say, Postmodernity, the postmodern world in which we live, the irony is this there is no truth. So, whereas prior generations would have debated the way they saw the Word of God, accepting its authority as truth, postmodern world that you live in, it doesn't accept that there's any truth. Are you with me? It's all relative. It's whatever truth is, whatever you want it to be. So, you see, you, you need to be aware of that. Because truth is the very thing. Paul was right. In the last days, as the evil one arises, you need to have the belt of truth firmly buckled around your waist. Now, it will come at us in, in, a, in, a, in a hundred ways, but we best know it and keep it tight. Secondly, he talks about the, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what form is that? Why do I need that in the last days? I'll tell you why. Because if you start to pray, what happens to a Christian who takes prayer seriously? That's the first thing that's going to happen to them. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And if any believer, any of you, decide to take prayer seriously and decide to enlist in God's end times army and be a praying person in warfare, the first thing the accuser does is accuse. And he will come after you as you start to pray. 
And Paul warns us, because of that fact, if you are serious about this, church, if you're serious about prayer, you had best get the breastplate of his good righteousness upon you. Remember, it's the armor of God. It doesn't mean that, you know, God's giving you. It means God is your armor. He is it. It's the armor of God himself, his attributes. And one of those is righteousness. And you need that. You need that to stand your ground. I remember we led a, a, a heroin user. We had a drop-in center in Dublin with many people coming there who were addicted to drugs. And this one girl, her sister died tragically of an overdose. But we managed to lead her to the Lord. And one day there was many people in the room a few months after the funeral and everything all sitting around. And, and this one girl, Rebecca, had asked the Lord into her life. She was still on heroin. And struggling with that, but she was doing well. She was attending our program, going for detox and all this. And she's surrounded in the room by people who haven't really made the same commitments. And something happened, and I can't remember what I said. I said something good, you know, or such and such good happened. And Rebecca was walking across the floor, surrounded by all her old cronies. And in response to what I said, she simply said, Hallelujah. Well, <laughs> accusation, judgment from all those other guys that she had shut up with for so many years. You could feel it. And I looked and I thought, I'm not going to say anything. Let's see what happens. Wow. She could stand up for herself all right. One of the men actually spoke and said something like this. Who do you think you are? Saying hallelujah when you're shooting up out there. And she turned and with holy indignation, righteous anger. She said, I may not be off it yet, but I tell you this, I asked Jesus to save me. And if I want to thank him for something, I will thank him. I thought, good, well done. <laughs> What's that? What's she wearing? She's wearing the breastplate of whose righteousness? His righteousness. And the devil was trying to pull her down, saying, you're not worthy. And sharp, Kim's well done. Straight back. I wasn't standing in my own strength anyway, as it happens. Because I'm a sinner. I'm well aware of that. I'm standing in his righteousness. So you can take your accusation back. Well done. And so we need to be. If you intend to pray, I mean really pray, then you had better get that on or you're going to be messed up by every Tom, Dick and Harry throwing accusations at you. Next, Paul talks about the sandals of peace. Now, this really seems out of place, doesn't it? <laughs> Here we are getting tooled up for war. And he says, right, get your sandals of peace on now. What do we need peace for? What's that all about? Well, the, he goes on to explain it, actually. Because we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And especially the evangelism team. We've got to remember that we go out and we do pull down principalities and powers. That's our job. And, and we hate evil. With all our hearts. But we don't hate people. We don't hate people. We love people. Amen? Amen? And so we don't approach them to cut their head off with a sword, as it were. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. We love the person and we attack the sin. The spirits behind these people whom God sent His Son to die for. And I think we often miss those sandals of peace. Especially in evangelism. I heard, I get a lot of podcasts from Ireland just to keep up to speed with what's happening there. I heard one of the most, the worst examples of witnessing I have ever heard in my life. 
on the radio just about three weeks ago. One of the news presenters over there is gay. He's well known, Sean Moncrief. And he got this woman phoning in from America as a so-called Christian. Maybe she is, I don't know. But I tell you what, talk about representing Jesus. She was on the phone to him and he was asking a question. Tell me about your God. You know who I am. I'm a gay man and you're a Christian and apparently you, you don't approve of homosexuality. Is that right? Now, instead of saying God loves people and hates sin, she started on him. And it, I mean, I, I can paraphrase, but she was a lot worse. She was saying, you and all your rotten gays burn in hell. The whole lot of you. Go, get, I mean, I wish none of you were here. I wish God would destroy you now. And on and on. And the, she sounded as if she absolutely hated him. Him. And at the end of the phone call, Sean Moncrief finished like this. He said, I think you are the most hateful person I have ever met in my life. And you know, as I finished that podcast, I thought, so do I. So do I. Because, you know, here's a man who is a gay man. And he's ringing to find out about God. And that's the response. From someone who has no knowledge of God, a lost person. That's the response. Sandals of peace, you must be joking. Taking the sword and attacking a human being. Paul says, don't do that. We don't fight against flesh and blood. He's not so much a deceiver as he himself is deceived. Have mercy. Have love. I, I would talk to that man. And you know what I would say? I'd say, do you know what, friends? For God so loved the world, the whole world, and everybody in it, including even me, that he sent his son to die on a cross. Now, I was born in a family that had a long history of drinking. My father drank very heavily till he was 40, till he got married, and then he stopped. But that came into my system. So, you know, there's a lot of genetics involved in alcohol. It really does get in family trees. My brother became a chronic alcoholic very quickly. I drank like mad. I was crazy for drink. I had a, a passion for it. It was in my genes almost, right? Now, I can turn and I can say, it's in my genes. It's not my fault. But I can't do that. God hates alcoholism. It destroys people. So God tells me, never mind your family tree. Turn from that. Repent of bygone wickedness and walk aright. So you get my point. I'm born like this. Now that gay guy can say the same to me. He can say, I'm born, I was born like this. Hey, I was born with a real tendency for alcohol. It doesn't mean I can go with it. I've got to stop it. I've got to resist it. Right? And so it is with homosexuality. When they say they have a tendency that way, you have got to repent of that. You've got to turn from that and turn to God. But am I better than a homosexual? Do you think you're better? I don't think I'm better. My sins are, 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 are multiplied by the million. I'm not better than anybody. I'm saved and I hope that by the grace of God I make it to the throne. But not because I'm better than anybody. Better than no one. And actually, neither are you. A man's a man. And that's that. So get your sandals of peace on. Get them on. And don't destroy people with your gospel. Use the gospel to save. And for God so loved the world that he sent his son. These are difficult things to deal with. 
One of our ministers actually in Dublin, I think he did a very brave thing. He invited the entire gay community to the church. And I know this, he's an excellent man. And he stood up and he said this, I want to apologize on what you must think of God. What you must think God thinks of you. He didn't negate scripture. He said, I stick with this. God does not approve of homosexuality. You must repent of it. You must turn of it, turn from it. But what I want to make clear, for God so loved the world, now turn to him. Now, wouldn't you be much more likely to turn to a gospel like that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you run from that woman on the phone? Wouldn't she? Because it's not a representation of the Jesus I know. Not at all. That's your sandals of peace. And we need to be very careful of how we understand these things. Paul said to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To the Greeks, I became, that I may win some to Christ. The belt of truth. It's never been more important. It concerns our day more than any other day. The breastplate of righteousness. If you're going to pray, Paul advises you, my advice to you, you better get that on because you're going to get hit very quick if you don't. The sandals of peace doesn't mean we compromise our gospel. We're not going to do that. We know exactly what the scriptures say and we stick with them. However, God loves people and that's where the peace comes. The helmet of salvation and the shield of faith are very similar. One protects you again from accusation so that you can have assurance of your faith. And the shield of faith, well, the devil's busy. Paul terms his actions fiery darts. Not just darts, but fiery darts. And what are they? Thoughts. Thoughts. And I've lost count of the number of Christian lives that you visit. That you visit. Lives that have fallen apart. And you take them back and say, where did this all start? How did you end up in such a mess? And the people can take you back and back and back. And often you will come to a point where something entered them. A thought. An accusation about someone, towards someone. Husband to wife. Wife to husband. Something entered their mind. A fiery dart. And you see, it's a fiery dart. It's on fire. <laughs> so if it comes in, what's it going to do to your house? Right? If it comes into your mind, what's it gonna, it's going to consume your mind. And the devil, Paul says, is very eager with his fire thoughts about people. Thoughts from husband about his wife, about a wife, about her husband. To try and split families. Try and cause you to hate instead of love. Thoughts about your pastor, your leader is very common. About your discipler, very common. To try and stop the helping hand. To try and push you back from growth. Thoughts that come in. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the shield of faith that guard us against these things. And sixthly, he talks about the most wonderful of all, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Through the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Christian disciplines because they all really get interlaced with prayer. But you know, of all the disciplines that you can go through in your life, you can fast, amen. You can do Bible study, amen. You can, you know, whatever you want to do, meditate or whatever. But the best discipline of all Christian disciplines is the memorization of Scripture. There is no other discipline that will actually do you more good and be of more benefit than knowing Scripture because it's a sword 
So that when you find yourself stuck in a situation, you've got a word. Is it not written? Is it not written? Is it not written, says Jesus, ready for every attack? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, all the disciplines are important, right? I'm just saying that as a human being, as a Christian, there isn't any discipline as Christian can exercise that has more actual benefit than the memorization of Scripture. Because it gives you the sword ready for the day of battle. And by the way, the last one is prayer. Because the reason we do all this, the reason we've got all this armor on, no point in staying at home, you got your armor on, right? We're getting this armor on to stand our ground, seriously contesting the devil as his onslaught comes in these last days, but also to take ground, to go into this city or wherever we find ourselves in the world. Protect it, just like we won't go out of our home here in Scotland without checking it out. So in the last days, we have been warned what the problems are. We've been told, now we dress appropriately and enter the world and do our ministry in a protected fashion. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please stay in prayer. Today's just the first day looking at this, but we'll look at it probably for about four or five weeks. Start to pray. Start to put these things into action. The six or seven methods of prayer that we mentioned this morning. Make sure that you're doing them. Don't just make it an academic study, but a real life study.